All right. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. My name is Will. These are the Rasco Bros. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> you are you are listening to the latest episode of Conversations About Dot Dot Dot, where this week we're going to fill in the blank with Yusuke conversation. Yasuke. Um, Yasuke. Sorry. Yasuke. Y'all know how I am with pronunciation sometimes. Yasuke conversation. Oh, don't and worry. We'll, I, we'll, we'll do our best to understand you well. I appreciate that. I speak English, but not always well. So I'll admit no, that that's why I called you well. <laughs> His name's well, right? Like as in a well? Yeah. That you draw water from? Yeah. Swell, guys. Swell. All the way around. All right. So I do want to offer the Rasco Bros a bit of encouragement first. Because I know they've been working on Atomic Derby for a bit. Uh, the comic book industry continues to teach me things about what not to do. And um, just as a brief, quick mention, uh, Heavy Metal and Neil Gaiman, who, much uh, to my mother's chagrin, again, referencing to my stepdad and my uncle's bag of comics that they would swap amongst each other pretty regularly. They picked up a lot of Heavy, mag heavy Metal magazines growing up. So I saw a lot of stuff that I probably shouldn't have seen when I was in my, you know, young teenage years. Um, I was exposed to some things in heavy metal that I wasn't quite ready for, uh, to say the least. There was a lot of ooh la la in them, but the thing is, there was a lot of ooh la la on both sides. You know, there were a lot of a lot of half naked or naked dudes running around, and there were a lot of half naked or naked women running around too. So of all sizes and shapes. So. But anyway, they, they had a character recently who was in the heavy metal movie back in the day. There was an animated movie, a heavy metal movie. Uh, and again, definitely not for small children. This is not one of those cartoons like a SpongeBob thing at all. Uh, if you didn't know, heavy metal, I believe, is a European magazine. And so they don't have quite the same restrictions on their stuff as American comics do. So they pretty much were doing adult-type comic books where they were doing a series of stuff but it was very adult. You would see adults doing adult things. There'd be a lot of adult language, things like that in there. And so this one particular character whose name slips my mind here, I'm going to be looking that up. But anyway, she, she usually has been betrayed for decades as this really, um, as this really, um, you know, kind of scantily dressed character. Um, but anyway, so she is, you know, in the thing, and as she's there, she is a warrioress. Well, when they brought, they're doing a new book with her through the heavy metal imprint, and she's armored up, covered completely. A lot of people are accusing heavy metal of bending the knee to the Puritans on Twitter, and um, saying that basically they are. Um, they are not allowing her to be who she was. And so, of course, Heavy Metal came back and responded on Twitter and uh, said such things as, you know, it's okay. You know, we grew up. You guys will grow up too. Uh, we learn how to change our underwear. You'll learn how to change your underwear as well. <laughs> um, That's you know, a good start. You know, very interesting things. No, uh, yeah, then, that's a great way to address the issue. You know, and then the other news that came from Neil Gaiman. 
Neil Gaiman, of course, who gave us Sandman series. Uh, and so, such a prolific writer beyond Sandman. Of course, I don't think I've ever read his stuff. He actually wrote a book on writing, uh, oh, which yeah. is a book I need to get. I need and, to uh, get he, that, too. Holy cow. I have read Sandman. Dude, I did pick up Stephen King's book on writing. And I'm just, I, I'm, exper- I'm, expected, I'm expecting it to be a trippy experience. Oh, no. It, it's a lot more streamlined and straightforward than you would think. But uh, Sandman is massive. That's the sort of thing you need to dedicate time in order to actually start chipping away at it. But, um, I mean, he also did American Gods, which is very popular right now. Okay, yeah, he did do that. He did do that. Yeah, he did uh, do American Gods. What I was going to say was, um, too, was that... Um, it's interesting. I believe he's written for heavy metal a few times as well. I think I know a lot of sci-fi writers. Let's be who, careful with that. I'm not sure. I'm not uh, okay. So he may have. I'm not going to say he definitively did, but it, but it's possible he may have because a lot Keep of different writers with. all over the place have done that. I am actually trying to find the name of the character that's in this controversy. Uh, oh, death. Huh. If you're talking about death, it's just death. She's one of the uh, the endless. Well, no, no, no. That's the trade that I wanted to get my hands on was uh, death, the high cost of... I believe it's a high cost of living or the high cost of dying. Uh, primarily because of the Chris Bachelot artwork. And so I really wanted to get that in. And so I thought that would be cool. Here's a fun fact. Kevin Easton at one point was an owner of... was a publisher for Heavy Metal Magazine. And uh, he found out through an email he was no longer the man- he was no longer the editing manager anymore or publisher. I just thought that was weird. So Kevin Eastman, who was part of the Ninja Turtles, uh, Ninja Turtles creation, is part was part of that. I am trying to find this thing. I may I may just not be. I should have prepared better. <laughs> I tried. You tried to find Will. Um, information about the character that's in uh, Heavy Metal Magazine that everybody's upset about because of the fact that she's more covered than she normally is. Well, I mean, I think I think it's less concerning about whether or not we can find the name of that character. Why don't you go ahead? While and you look for it, I, I, oh. I do have a, a similar controversy that happened recently that kind of deals with the same general idea that people are complaining about really which is very interesting and smider you know about this because we talked about it back when the game was first released right i think like a couple years ago i think is when it first released either a couple years or last year um mortal kombat 11 yeah um there was some fan backlash for a while um which seems to have died down as far as i can tell uh, over the female characters' mm-hmm. depictions in Mortal Kombat 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is that it was uh, agreed upon by the game's art director and the character lead artist um, that the the female characters in the game would be more covered up than they'd have ever been in any of the other previous Mortal Kombat games. Right. Um, and the big thing, is back in the old games, it'd be like, scantily clad women in bikinis and even in as recently as mortal kombat 9 they had uh melina's they had a costume of melina that was just wrapped up in in very little bandages oh yeah around her body yeah um and some fans were complaining about it and 
um, the director was talking about how that they had decided that they wanted to, uh, since their, their designs, it says right here, uh, here's a quote uh, from the director, Steve Barron, the art director for Mortal Kombat 11. It says, our character lead, Brandon George, has been a breath of fresh air of just introducing new ideas. Our design is getting more mature and respectful. You're not going to wear a bikini to a fight. You're not going to be showing so much skin. I think it's just what the game is about. You're going to fight for your life, and you're not going to be wearing such scantily clad items. Um, and it was an art direction that I actually really agreed with. Um, and I think the character models ha are better than they've ever looked before. Um, the faces look so much better. And I think all of the female characters look even more attractive than they have ever been. Actually. Per particularly in the face uh, region. Because yeah. the faces were always a little off in these games. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I think Mortal Kombat 11 is the best that they've ever looked. Mortal Kombat 9 was the absolute worst when it, it came it, to faces. It's the absolute worst in recent history. Because <laughs> yeah, even the older games also still had weird face problems. Um, and, uh, the, yeah, there was a controversy f around that. People were like, why are you covering up these characters? You know, they've always been like, people always called them the bikini ninjas or whatever. Um, mm. which is eh, true, which is true. Um, but I, I really like the new character designs that they came up with and many of them are still, uh, very beautiful. Sorry. Uh, and some of them are still, uh, lean towards that sexy side. But I think the main controversy was like, why do it just to the female characters? Whereas you still have like big buff shirtless men, uh, instead like kano and uh jacks jacks uh uh shao Kahn specifically yeah it's just like rippling shao Kahn is great rippling muscles and um the argument there is like well for men it's a power fantasy uh for women it's not so much it's a different uh, thing yeah yeah um but uh, regardless, that was also a, a similar controversy that had been going on uh, fairly recently. I think, uh, let All me right. see, well, this article was written uh, in 2019. Mm -hmm. so. Yep. And so, so here is, it's, the name of the character is Tarnia. And uh, apparently, according to Heavy Magazine's official Twitter, uh, it has come to our attention that some of you are confused that Tarnia has the ability to change clothes. So to address this, we'd like to remind you that you too can change clothes, and please do so, especially your underwear. We've gotten complaints from the neighbors. Okay. So here's, here's my final thing to all that. And again, that was kind of a news thing, but I wanted to offer you guys a bit of encouragement in, outside of that, which is this. Guys, and I know y'all know this already. You don't need me to tell you. Continue to appreciate your fans. Uh, remember that at the end of the day, we understand the fans don't write the material. The fans don't do the illustrations. The fans, if y'all make changes that the fans don't like, uh, then you know you're going to deal with that in your own way. But don't disrespect the people that pay for your stuff. That's just not a good way to keep them spending money with you. You know, especially when the average heavy metal book or magazine is at minimum $7 to $8, $7 to $10 a pop. 
you know. And again, I understand Neil Gaiman feeling like, you know, he has the right to do whatever he chooses to do. He created the endless. He created all that. I love the fact that people were complaining that, oh, they gender bent John Constantine. I was like, no, they didn't. John Constantine had a great grandmother. And that's the character that's playing it that in the, in the, in the series, in the, in the deal. So it's a great grandmother to John Constantine, not John Constantine gender bent. So, but yeah, just love your you customers. Just want to inc- you just want to encourage this cautionary take on fan reception and w- like if we end up having to deal with stuff like that. Yeah, because you, you, you guys have talked about how it's very possible you're going to deal with backlashes or fans. You make changes or if you do certain things in relationships or whatever that people don't like. You know, you've talked about that before yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know that's something that can come with it. I mean, I, I had a person tell me one day about pencil and I just don't feel like it's realistic that an eight-year-old, uh, you know, sugar power robot boy would be running about with his granddad doing adventures. <laughs> I was like, you know what else is not realistic? Vin Diesel in the Fast movies. Go back and watch those movies and tell me how much realistic stuff happens after the third movie. And then come back to me. Well, if we're and, talking about realism, that's a that's an entirely separate thing. Just dealing yeah. with fan reception at all is something that I feel like every creative needs to prepare themselves for these days. It's something that wasn't as big of an issue before social media and before the internet. Yes, there were a lot of times when an artist or some sort of creative body would put something out there and it would be open to criticism, but the avenues for that weren't as easy to access and as personal, immediately personal, as social media. Because if you're a creative, you can end up having a Facebook or something just to... For even for yourself, just to connect with other people that you care about, and then there can be somebody that didn't like what you did, and then they could come on your Facebook or whatever, and at least get in that first strike. Yeah, you can block them, but they have to do something to you first, mm-hmm. and that's something that I think just as somebody that wants to make anything, music, comics film, cartoons. You have to be willing to accept that that's going to be a part of your reality and you need to be able to be comfortable enough with yourself to be able to say, I know what I want to do, but I also know that because of what I've done and what I've built, I have garnered a following and I want to be at least loyal to that to a fo- to a point. Mm-hmm. For me, it's thinking about, well, my obligation, and I I don't know how clear this is going to be, my obligation is not to my reader's personal sense of what they want. My obligation is giving my reader the best story I can, the most entertaining story that I can put together and have it be meaningful from my point of view. 
And I, I mean, Jing, no, Jingles and I haven't voiced it out in the air, but I'm pretty sure Jingles feels the same way. Uh, I just want to, I just want to draw cool things. Yeah, Jingles just wa- Jingles. Has- I don't actually want to make a good story. I want to <laughs> pander as hard as I can. I want to pander super hard so that I can make a million billion dollars. You see, and what I'm trying to do is that I'm just trying to steal Jingles' talents and trick him into telling the kind of stories that I want to tell. Oh, he got me. I got him. Oh, oh. I got him again. He got, uh, got me oh. again. Surprise. I made you draw a team of cool female characters who are all part of a team and they're going to do roller derby, high octane roller derby with each other. Ah, I tricked you. Ah, you got me. How could so, you? So, Jingles, Jingles, when he got that gift of that tablet... Uh, from 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 uh, Smider, and you touched it. Uh, what you didn't know was that he pulled that Space Jam thing, where basically once he you touched it, then basically he was able to grab it and get some of your abilities and some of your drawing talent in order to help I motivate got it. you. I got his talent. <laughs> so yeah, just just appreciate your fans, guys. I mean, I've I've dealt with a little bit of it. I'm not dealt with it to the level that like heavy metal is dealing with. It. I'm not dealing with the level. Like, I mean, if, you know, if you wake up and you see a, a, a Hispanic sugar-powered robot boy, it's probably because somebody else has built another robot boy, not because Pencil Ninja is complete, of a complete different race. Um, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I, even, with, even with creatives that I disagree with that like to use their medium as a platform, like a political platform... As much as I disagree with those guys, I still don't think that somebody standing on the outside should have too much input as to what their personal beliefs should do for the story. I will always accept fundamental technical criticism. I will always accept that. What I will not accept is somebody coming in and uh, saying, you should cater more to me personally. Yeah, I wanted to buy. I still wanted to buy the new Warriors trade when it dropped, and then Marvel just canceled it, and they acted so it doesn't exist. Like there's no, been no mention. I mean, we're going into June of 2021, and no mention of Marvel ever coming out with that new Warriors uh, trade. Just mm-hmm. they just buried that sucker worse than like Triple H was burying fools in the 90s. Eh, not bad, not a bad reference. So. See, see, I can't make good wrestling references, guys. I can't. Well, it's just that, like, uh, you'll shoehorn it in. God love you, Will. I do, too. You'll shoehorn them in sometimes. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> I, I, I'm willing to admit that. But anyway, just in quick new stuff as well, just because I always like to encourage you guys. Although, like I said, y'all are working on stuff, man. I want to see. I want to see it, like, as soon as it comes. But I want y'all to have the time to do it, too. Like, I don't want y'all to feel like... Me, I'm just sitting there going, yes, I'm praying to have the money, whatever it's ready. You know, I really appreciate that, Will. I, I actually do. All ribbing and joking aside, I really do appreciate you thinking about us when it comes to that. You know, I can't wait till I see the Kickstarter one day with the Rascal Bros coming out there, that first Kickstarter video, if, if y'all choose to do Kickstarter. Um, you know, you go out with that first Kickstarter video, do you like women who have attitude? Do you like women who have a bit of spunk? Do you have women who do you like women who rollerblade? Here's what well, we'll guess do. what? 
we will find a guy that nine of us have known before, and we'll just hire him based on the fact that he has a top-knot ponytail and a well-trimmed beard, and we're going to have him just talk real soft in the video. Ukulele music is a must. Oh, yes. Yes. I just, figured y'all would hire, I just figured y'all would hire John Hader to come in and, and, and do the snake voice. Oh, like, you mean uh, David, David Hader. David Hader. I don't know where I got John from. David Hader, yes. I would I would not tarnish David Hader's skills just for that. Yeah, it wouldn't make any sense. I would write... Uh, see? That's what I'm saying! <laughs> I would, Like, it has nothing to do with Metal Gear. Why? If we were... I see that he wants to throw that in because he knows I like Metal Gear. Like, but, you would... like. You would send him. You would send him a P, an advanced PDF copy of the book. You'd be like, okay, how much would it cost to hire you for your services to come in and do a short little video thing, or even a clip? Of, you don't even have to have him do the whole thing. Just he could just come in and be like how he felt about it. You know, you get that information beforehand. That way, he's like, you know, you can say, well, you know, hey, don't take our word for it. Here's David Hader for the Metal Gear series. He's all like, well, first of all. I'm not chasing crab baskets. But when I'm not chasing crab baskets, I'm telling you, this atomic derby thing is some real good stuff. By the way, Jingles and Smider, you guys are pretty good. I appreciate Will's attempt at it. You see, the joke that we were making was about what those sort of Kickstarter videos are like. Yeah. And you were just throwing in, but Metal Gear. And I'm all like, yes, Will, Metal Gear. I love it. But that wasn't the joke we were making. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I was still. I wouldn't back out of that. I wouldn't ever ask to remove that from the uh, from the podcast. I think this whole discussion was great. So there you go. There you go. It's, uh, it's just another example of of Will bringing in something he knows we like, even when it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I was honestly worried that he was going to misquote you're pretty good. He didn't, though. That, he I didn't. Give him, you stuck the landing. That's a gold star for you that. You got it. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Woo All right. So, two quick news items in addition to the other stuff that we kind of mentioned. Yes. Uh, so, in the land of things we don't need, because, uh, you know, every now and then we got to visit that land, uh, they want to reboot Highlander, y'all, with Henry Cavill as the main character. They want to reboot Highlander. I don't know how to feel about that, because I love the original Highlanders with Christopher Lambert, of course, the great Sean Connery, and then even the TV show with Adrian Paul, uh, and then later the movies where they had Adrian Paul and Christopher Lambert team up, and et cetera. You know, and so they want to reboot it with Henry Cavill, which I get it. You know, Henry Cavill's kind of the hotness, you know, with The Witcher, you know, and all that was Superman. You know, he's, he's pretty much been replaced. We don't know by who yet, but he's pretty much been replaced now. He's not going to come back as Superman, even though The Rock is still trying to figure out how to get him to be there. It's like, that's a whole other, that falls back to the last conversation we had concerning the uh, movies and such, They're fixing DC. Anyway, so um, that's there. And then the Powerpuff Girls pilot was shown to a target audience, and they hated it so much that Diablo Cody, the writer of such great films as Juno, which I think is the only great movie she's done as far as I'm concerned, 
uh, they had to go back and do rewrites. So they're going to have to go back and rewrite the script for this new Powerpuff Girls thing, which I think right now the name tentatively is just Powerpuff. So for the CW, because of course, you know, the CW uh, has shown us ever since Riverdale uh, that, hey, we don't mind ruining your childhood for the sake of money. And I wish I could go over some of the things in the script uh, that were leaked out, but I'm not going to go over some of that because, again, like I said, it's just it, it's stuff that just messes up the whole thing. I can tell you that apparently Mojo Jojo or Mojo uh, in this story is supposed to be a scientist that worked with Professor Utonium. And Mojo supposedly found out the secrets to Chemical X first, and then Professor Utonium, played by the great Donald Faison, stole the stuff from Mojo. And apparently, in, a, in addition to that, uh, Bubbles, Buttercup, Blossom, Blossom. Okay, so Blossom apparently killed Mojo. Mojo has a son who was the mayor at the beginning of the series and obviously isn't going to end up winning the election because apparently Sarah Bellum uh, from the show is running as his opponent. So Townsville's going to have his first female mayor, potentially. Uh, and by the way, in another scene, you found out that she and Professor Utonium have hooked up a couple of times. And just, yeah, it just gets weirder after that. Like, so that's what I'm saying. Like, nobody asked for this. I don't understand why we're getting it. Okay. Other than people at are doing their thing. Alright, uh, so, uh, brother, while we're going to the land of things that we don't need, you go want to go ahead and pump that break right there? Well, first of all, uh, just because I, I, I was curious, I was like, D is Craig McCracken, the original creator of Powerpuff Girls, involved with this series at all? I looked it up. He is not involved in any way, shape, or form. Well, that makes the sense. And in fact, the, I'm reading an article by Sci-Fi Wire asking him what are his thoughts uh, on the upcoming series. Um, and this article was written uh, at the beginning of the year, January 20th. Um, so before any of this new stuff has been shown or the pilot or any of the script stuff had been shown. Um, which apparently he's been uh, working on a new uh, series that's going to be coming out or it might already be out uh, on Netflix. I'd have to double check, but it's called Kid Cosmic. So uh, cool for him. It's, it's pretty it's pretty cool so far what I've seen of it. Yep. You say it's on Netflix? Netflix, yep. All right, oh, that's cosmic. Right. Putting it up on the to-do board. We'll put it on the to-do. Um, but yeah, he's not involved in any way, so I wanted to make sure that we uh, pointed that out. So I don't know who gave the approval for CW to make this show, but it wasn't him. <laughs> so um, I guess Cartoon Network uh, must own the owns right. the property. There you go. Warner Warner owns the property. There you go. I mean, Warner can do that with anything, so yeah. Great. What were you going to say, bro? No, I uh, I, I thought you were just going to like clarify some some more stuff for, uh, for Will in case he missed anything on the mark. Uh, no, I don't think he's missed anything. Yeah. I mean... So let's go ahead, yeah. and honestly, I was just waiting for Will to eventually just ask us, what do you guys think? 
Uh, and I actually, with all getting wrapped up on the Powerpuff Girls, uh, sorry, Powerpuff. What uh, what was that first thing that we were talking about? Highlander. Highlander. Oh, now I remember. Uh, hey, Will. I actually yeah. uh, am kind of interested in the idea of a rebooted Highlander. Maybe they'll make it good. Thank you. Instead of the original, which was not. I, I okay. am... I am of the opinion that much like uh, the Matrix films, uh, I think Highlander had a lot of really cool ideas mm -hmm. and there was a lot of really interesting execution of some of those ideas. Yeah. But as a whole, the films are not really the, good. The rest of the franchise is not good. Highlander specifically, like after the first Highlander, it just gets worse. Yeah. Um, and I've seen quite a few of those movies. Yeah. Even Highlander 2 is really weird and not super great. Yeah. Um, and, and then I, what was it? The Source? Thinking, yeah. Oh, don't talk about The Source, bro. <laughs> don't talk about it. Oh, it's 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 up there for literally one of the worst films I've ever seen. Yeah. And I watch a lot of bad movies. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not fun to watch. It's really bad. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was, um, yeah, uh, I rewatching the first Highlander. Yeah. Even then, I'm like, this is really 80s as heck. Yeah. One. Yeah. And two, um, there's a lot of technical issues that I, I don't like. Yeah. I thought the acting in many places was stiff. The action, I think, is probably the highlight of it. Yeah. And the idea of like, the immortals and immortals yeah i think that's cool ideas yeah and i think like more talented people could actually make something really good with that yeah um but i just don't think that um the highlander series is that good mm -hmm. um and that's a shame because it's, it's kind of a built up this pedigree and this legacy that i don't i'm I'm actually very curious to go in and research some more because Highlander has fallen into this thing that I feel like the original Mortal Kombat film did. Mm -hmm. and that was, they're not perfect films, but they did enough of an impression to warrant positive memories right. in a generation. Yeah. And I think that's fascinating. And I'm actually really curious to dig my nose into that some more because I mean, not everything we watched when we were, when we were young was good. I disagree. Everything we've ever watched <laughs> ever as kids was good. It was 10 out of 10. There was never a flaw in any of it. You remember Beast Wars? Perfect show. Perfect show. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, but I, I also think it's really fascinating about, people experiencing a Highlander and other properties that went to incredible places conceptually, but wound up just falling apart. Mm -hmm. Like the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's garbage. Mm -hmm. But they ended up they they somehow kept it going because the premise was just so strong. Right, it's a strong premise, like uh, the Terminator series. Oh yeah, like the first two movies are absolute classics uh, the best. and are still really really good movies. Yeah, 
uh, even though tonally they're very the first two are very different from each yeah. other because one of them is an overall action movie the other one's kind of horror yeah um and so yeah um, he was bloated salvation i think was just mis mishandled i think i i actually really liked salvation yeah but i i can i can see like the major problems yeah. that it has in a places. lot of it was just departures from the norm mm-hmm. but we actually got to see like the future war yeah which is actually different from the rest of the series yeah which i think a lot of people would like to see more of is is the war in the future yeah genesis was messy genesis is a hot mess it's a hot mess from like right sorry daenerys you can't help us here at the very beginning where we have the future war bit as soon as that ends the rest of the movie is just hot garbage yeah uh and i i liked dark fate but i feel like there's still i think the major problem with dark fate is um just trying to redo terminator 2 again again um and i think that that is a hindrance to it instead of trying to expand more um, How's that for an example? There you go. There's How's an example. How's that for an example? The Terminator series. But um, we still love the Terminator. We still love it. Yeah. So. With Highlander getting rebooted, I want to see somebody take the loose concepts and make a tight narrative out of it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, Henry Cavill's the the hot bee's knees right now can henry cavill do a scottish accent that's a good question he could do an american one pretty good he does a really good american one he's british if i'm not mistaken in real life so i mean british he he and colin fair well colin fair of course isn't british but those are two actors that if you didn't know they were not american just by looking at them or hearing them in most of their movies like when you hear them talk in real life you're like what 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 is this when in, in in times when Idris Elba has played uh, Americans, he's also does an amazing, especially American Southern accent. Americans. Yep. Yeah. Like, or even uh-huh. inner city Americans. Right. I remember uh, when Guillermo del Toro was talking about Idris yeah. uh, when they got him for uh, Pacific Rim. Hashtag great movie. Have great. Oh. Horrible sequel. Um, <laughs> and they had him on there. Uh, he remembers bringing him on because he saw him in in the movies where he has played an american right um and and he's he's yeah the wire yeah uh and he said like wow this american guy does such a great british accent this is (laughs) and then it's when he's all like that's when he got the info yeah it was all like well he's actually british yeah he's like he's actually from london i believe he might even be from the east end but i'm not sure yeah um but anyway uh, I believe Henry could probably do a Scottish accent yeah. uh, with a proper um, coach. Yeah. Or I don't even know if he even has a family in Scotland. Maybe he might. So, um, to play Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. Yep. Yes. More yep. e- even if it's a new character with a different name. I'll be the, fine with that. The phrase Highlander is somebody from the Scottish Highlands. Yeah, it's not a name for the immortals that they are. Yeah, people f- kind of forget that sometimes. Yeah. They're not all Highlanders, just no. him. <laughs> all I need, though, all I need, though, really, is the theme song. And the question is, does Adam Lambert do a good Scottish accent? <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's not really important. So, as far as a Highlander reboot... 
I feel like they could do a good job with it. Sure. And because I don't think that the original Highlander is that good of a movie anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not too worried about that. The Powerpuff Girls show. Um, Let's get into that. I don't even have to. I could just say already from what I've heard, already from what I've seen, like I'm not expecting good things from this. No. Thing. And the no. CW has already ruined so many good shows for me already. Right. And so many good concepts yeah. that it's like, well, I'm not. Ex- I, there's a reason I don't even watch the CW. If something even has CW, like the logo anywhere around it, like if there's a booth for a show next to a CW booth, they don't even have to be affiliated. And I'm going to be hesitant to check it out. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> And I, a brief aside, I don't like it when a casting lists out the actresses mm-hmm. who are going to be in these roles and tells you their orientation before their name. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I really don't like that. No. They should just say, actress so-and-so, actress so-and-so actor so-and-so right we don't need to be reminded african-american actor morgan freeman or he uh, him what was that he him he him pronouns, right get the pronouns in there yeah oh well, no they're, t- they're very they're very quick to tell you that like what they are and yeah and what does it matter to the character what does it matter to any of the story? But, you know, I've always complained about what it, what on earth does any of that even do for giving us a good story? And it kind of doesn't. I mean, I'm looking at an article right now going over, and I, I might actually look up more articles because I want more perspectives on this. Mm-hmm. And it's just going over why the pilot tanked. And I haven't even finished, I haven't even finished the article, but I just think it's fascinating to, uh, to see something like this, have a pilot go out and people present so hard of a kickback on it that it forces the CW who is constantly trying to push the letter on being progressive hmm. suddenly take a couple steps back now i haven't come to this part but i am reminded of other times where people feel as though they're patting themselves on the back by having more progressive ideals in their characters one you shouldn't be patting yourself on the back times change and new things happen And there are always going to be new people, regardless of whether or not you feel like you're prolific and you're the first one to do X in whatever. And there are times where people push back and it's I'm actually going to bring this back to some of the conversation that we just had about fan reception Mm -hmm. and then the worst thing that you can do is sarcastically apologize for 
these new things that you're trying to shove down the fans' throats. Oh, we're sorry. We thought you guys were as enlightened as us. And uh, I guess we're just going to have to go back to the days of Neanderthals and being horrible to people so that we can please you guys. That is never... That's another thing, Will, about... (laughs) About... Respecting the fans. Because you have to know when to draw the line when it comes to being a creative. But it has to come from being creative. Right. And... I know I, I can't really speak for every writer ever, but... I've genuinely felt that stories are there to enter... To one, entertain and uplift. And when the subtext of the story is there to browbeat and to belittle other people for not being as either enlightened or as conservative as you are or self-righteous as you are, then you're not doing your job as a writer. You're Mm -hmm. not doing your job as a creative. And... I know that's a really harsh stance to take, but it's something that I've seen too little of and I want to see more of. Well, and, you know, Powerpuff yeah. just looks like it's not really concerned about that. Hmm. So, who uh, knows? It, I, don't, like, I don't even know if they're even going to try again. They might. They might try again. The plan is to. The plan is to. Um, there you go. The plan is to try again. And when they do, who knows what sort of monster it'll be after that. They could do anything with the characters. Like, you know, let's make Mojo Jojo an attractive young man who is now just a tortured soul. And Professor Utonium, like, tortured him every day. The Powerpuff Girls are now dark vigilantes traveling the streets at night, exacting justice. Um, All of them are like now full-grown women and constantly having sex and would just make it even more politically charged i don't really care if you unless you're telling me a good story i really don't care that's why when i see her and see things like invincible i kind of i kind of like where it's going but i mean i also get that not everybody's going to enjoy the blood and the violence and how heavy it gets but what mm-hmm. i do like is that it still uplifts yeah that's dude, one thing that i've always dude, found refreshing dude we're, we're gonna talk invincible one day i'm gonna tell you one right day. now dude, one day. i am going to just just be like <laughs> but will uh i cannot discuss it with on my brother and he's not gonna read it so no i might read it if yeah. you if you start getting like the issues i'll read it okay. i don't want to watch the show yeah I've already. I, I don't want to see people die like that. No, I, I totally get that. Totally get that. And here's another great point about uh, audience reception: is that uh, you know sometimes you just need to read the room, and sometimes people are really put off with what you're putting out. I'm honestly more interested in the boys than I am in Invincible. Really? Yeah, I know. It's kind of a weird like yeah. Yeah, going on there. If you think Invincible's bloody. <laughs> yeah, because like uh, the boys is really nihilistic. 
yeah it's really it's kind of hopeless yeah but the clips that i've seen make me laugh uh it does have a pretty great dark sense of humor and like if it's gonna make me laugh i feel more accepting towards it yeah um like some of the deaths that i've seen yeah made me laugh they're they're, like and there's a dark sense of humor to it whereas invincible it's like okay um i'm not happy yeah with what just happened there yeah that wasn't funny at all even if it ends on a hopeful note right yeah even but i mean like eventually i'm probably gonna get better eventually i'm probably gonna check out both yeah um because they're both written by very very talented people Mm -hmm. um I like Garth Ennis a lot, and I like Robert Kirkman a lot. Yeah. So, <laughs> eventually, I'm I'm probably gonna read it. Yeah. And I mean, like, the the Garth Ennis run of the Punisher that we have. Oh. It's it's pretty nihilistic. It's pretty dark, and it's pretty violent. Yep. But I like it. Yeah, it's very. I like good it a lot. One. So. Well, well, I know we went off on a long tangent. This time it was our fault. This time it was my fault. <laughs> That's okay. I know I've gone down a few ro- winding roads before, so I'm just like, I'll allow it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they are uh, connected. But they are yes. connected. That's the thing. It It's all connected. It's all part yep. of one shared ranting universe. <laughs> <laughs> but I believe no that's the news, right, Will? That is the news. So let's get into some... Okay, say it for me. Yasuke. Yasuke. Uh... Do you want to take a break before we uh, get into Yasuke, just so that there's a little breathing room between our discussions? I don't mind. I don't mind a break. So after these messages, we'll be right back. All right, gentlemen, it's time for Yasuke talk. Let's do this. What did we enjoy about the show? What did we enjoy about the show? I actually was a really big fan of the period in history that they started with because Mm -hmm. what little is known about yasuke throughout history is that we know that he was likely um brought in from africa or at least uh the indies over to japan by either early christians or by merchants and after the fact he was purchased by nobunaga who found who had a natural fascination with the man everybody in japan did he was a giant guy and he was like pretty much the only black guy in the entire country Mm -hmm. and they were naturally fascinated with him nobunaga was so fascinated with him that he would pal him around with him all the time just to almost be all like, look, here's my black friend. And he, <laughs> yeah, it's goofy to think about. Nobunaga is not racist. Nobunaga <laughs> has a black friend. <laughs> this is my black friend, Yasuke. Yasuke, tell them, t- tell them that we are cool. <laughs> and my name even. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, what I did like in the show, and I can't even remember if this is an actual thing, but I don't, I don't think too many people knew the true name of Yasuke, or at least before his Japanese name. Uh, I like that they gave him the uh, a name. Yeah. And when Nobunaga just could not make sense of it, he was all like, uh, we're going to call you our country's version of Johnny. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
Yas the name Yasuke is not the equivalent of the name Johnny. Yeah. Now, he gives him the it's name Yasuke. More like Yasuke. Goro. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, he Actually, gives I might have to look it up. I, it might be something like Satoshi or something like that. It's You're like probably right. The it, the it, most common name in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, Actually, why don't I just yeah, like look it up for it funsies up. right now? I'm curious. And after Nobunaga gives him his name, eventually Yasuke is in the service of Nobunaga and the Oda clan. And they continue their campaign with the three great unifiers across Japan. And Yasuke is in some pretty prolific battles. And all we know is that during the last days of Nobunaga... Yasuke was there with him, and it's very likely implied that Yasuke assisted Nobunaga in ritual suicide. And after the fact, Yasuke, I believe there was one last person that he was in service to, but very shortly after that, he disappeared from history. And the show picks up after that, and it tries to almost immediately throw in new high fantasy concepts and elements in it at a really quick pace. Now, what I did like was, one, the opening theme, two, the way that Yasuke looked, and the care that was put into the environments. There were, like, from serene forests in Japan to these grand sweeping evil layers. Everything in the background felt like it was just time and care put into these cool ideas about making the environment really gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that the actor that they had for Yasuke was really good. I felt that he was kind of limited in parts, but when he got to really explore his range with Yasuke, I felt like we were actually seeing this character come into his own. Mr. Lakeith Stanfield. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, wasn't he in Get Out? It was. Yeah. He was um, in Get Out. His most recent movie, I believe, was Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, you're right. Um, and I think he did a really good job. I think the voice cast, for the most part, was good. Um, those are more or less the things that I liked. Oh. And another thing that I liked were a lot of the flashback scenes where it's Yasuke in history getting to know the culture of Japan. Mm -hmm. And I also really liked the, uh, what was it? It was the nature of Yasuke's position. I think there were some times in the fights that I really, really liked. Um, and I think that's most of what I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to pass it off to Jingles. Okay. First of all, I, I found uh, a list of the most popular uh, names in Japan, most common names. Yeah. Uh, number one is Kenji. Ah. Number two is Hiroshi. And number three is Shigeru. Shigeru. Well, there you go. Johnny, so. Bobby, and Tommy. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, yeah, um, pretty much the same things that uh, Smider said were things that I really liked about the show. I like, I, I, I generally like, and it's because it's probably one of the most popular um, 
times in history that um, people like to talk about in Japan um, was the Warring States period and stuff involving Oda Nobunaga. Um, and uh, that, that whole time with him and trying to unify Japan, making one unified the Japan uh, was like a big thing. Um, I like to... I like to think like how popular it is to make World War II movies here in the States. Stuff and movies and anime and shows involving the Warring States period, the Sengoku period, about the same, I feel. Um, and as such, some are more historically accurate than others. Yasuke is more like historical fiction, which is not what I was expecting mm-hmm. and not really, or, not really what I was wanting. I, I, I wanted more of a... A more historically accurate show but you know that's not the direction that they wanted to go with the show and that's totally fine um i liked um i liked a lot of the character designs in it um some of the animation i thought was pretty great there are other times when like most modern anime it kind of falls apart and i wasn't a big fan of that um i like the general idea of the show Although the mm-hmm. execution was not something that I was particularly fond of. Um, it, it reminded me of a bunch of other shows that I've seen that I feel like did similar concepts better. Um, and an example that I would have would be like Bleach. Um, there's a lot of stuff in this show that re- makes me think of Bleach. But I think Bleach um, did uh, better overall, at least starting off. But then Bleach went on for a very long time and kind of fell off in quality pretty quickly um i i liked many of the characters i thought they were uh interesting and unique um and uh some of the the designs for a few of the things um i i liked just in general i liked the character designs and stuff like that those are the main things that i really actually liked about the show okay for me, I really enjoyed, first of all, the relationship uh, between Yasuke and, and look up her name in here, uh, Natsumaru. Um, she was a lady samurai that was in there, and it's interesting how they befriend each other, and then he figures out some things about her, but like he doesn't immediately confront the situation he's kind of like he's putting things together and so it's interesting to see how long it takes for him to kind of finally confront it and when he does it's more like you know i have to deal with this because this isn't going to stand and she's like i understand type thing and and he ends up having a killer. Which I found that interesting. I just, I just, because there was a possibility to go down the typical path of, okay, well, they're going to fall in love and they're going to have children and they're going to have a family and this, that, and other, and everything else. But then it kind of has an interesting twist because he realizes that uh, she's a part of the Iga, Iga clan and also the spy for Hitori Hanzo. Both real so. historical uh, things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Iga so, clan and Hitori Hanzo. It's interesting too because you see him. You talk, talk about the idea of regretting regretting it. 
you see him tormented over him killing these people. Like when he gets involved in the in the ritual suicide of his lord, he sees that flashbacks. It wakes him up at night. Like he's terrified by what he had to do in both of those situations because he's flashing back to him sometimes in pain, sometimes like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I had to do that. And so I think that's an interesting character thing, is that, you know, he doesn't necessarily want to kill especially in situations where he knows the people he's having to kill. I mean, when he's just fighting and he's just slaughtering fools left and right, I mean, that, that doesn't faze him. It's more of the, he have he is having to deal with people he, he has a connection with. And I really appreciate that. I really appreciate the way they told the little girl story, you know, within there, where the little girl, um, Saki, ends up, um, ends up going in, you know, him having to, you know, him having to kind of keep her safe. Uh, and so, of course, the main villains coming after her, trying to deal with those powers, trying to obtain those powers from her, really, trying to take them away from her, which is a very much an old-school kung fu trope. Of, you know, this person has really powerful abilities. We want to take those away and give them to our master, or our master wants to take them away and envelop them for themselves. So they have their minions basically go in, and they try to do whatever they can in order to get those powers away from the person. So then you have the hero who has to fight to protect the person with the abilities. So I really appreciated that uh, a lot. Um, what was the things that you didn't like? And I'm going to, before you start, I'm going to raise this one concern, which I thought was really interesting. A bunch of people were saying, well, it doesn't feel historically accurate. And to that, I'll just simply speak to the fact that I don't think if you study much of LaShawn Thomas's stuff, I don't think, I, I didn't expect it to be 100% historically accurate to begin with. Because it's like, people are like, oh, well, there are robots, and there's all this crazy stuff going on, and there's these mech buildings, and these things, you know, and, and werewolves, and people turn it into huge, gigantic bears, and all that other stuff. And it's just like, well, first of all, that is a bit of mysticism in that. You know, and secondly, you know, again, you know, if you look at LaShawn Thomas' stuff, like you look at his run on Ninja Turtles, even, you go back and look at a lot of the stuff he's done in comics, you look at the stuff he did in Cannon Busters. He has particular stuff he likes to go to, and big robots are one of them. <laughs> so, you know, if LaShawn Thomas is going to be directly involved in something like that, he's going to have big robots in it somehow or another. And so, I felt like it worked for what it was. But, you know, anyway, I want you guys to kind of talk about things you didn't necessarily like about it. Oh, boy, Will. Oh, boy. I had a good time, but I had some problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, in regards to the comment of historical inaccuracy versus historical accuracy, that's all down to preference. I don't even engage stuff like that. What really matters is whether or not the show told an entertaining, cohesive story. And I think it did for maybe the first half. Maybe the first four episodes. Because the rest of it... I, I'll be honest with you, Will. The rest of it kind of shoots itself in the foot with far too many world building elements that are not properly expanded upon or even 
explored within the context of the season. Because what was it? How many how many episodes? Well, actually, was it six episodes? I think it was one of the shorter Netflix series. It really didn't. Yeah, it was about six episodes. It was six episodes? Well, scratch oh. what I said before. The first two and a half episodes, mm-hmm. I thought, were, was when the series was at its strongest. And a lot of that has to do with the pacing. The first big issue that Yasuke had throughout the entire season was pacing. Because we spend the better part of the first, like I said, couple of episodes getting to know the world and Yasuke and his position within it and why he's living the life that he's living. Albeit at the very beginning of the first episode, they start introducing the evil daimyo and the evil daimyo's forces, which appear to be demons. And there was a handful of soldiers teamed up with Yasuke to defend Nobunaga with magic. Now I'm not opposed to that. The worst thing that they did was that they didn't actually explore any of those new concepts. They just piled on more new concepts. Uh-huh. Because the moment that Yasuke says, All right, I'm going to deliver you out to the doctor. I know, it's it's closer to a, like a Shaq impression <laughs> than a Yasuke impression. What if it was Shaq? What if it was just anyway, Shaq? Then I would have that. actually not liked it as much. <laughs> I'm being honest. I'm going to take the doctor. We're going to go to the doctor. He's going to look at your powers. He's going to figure them out. The Nobunaka would have got his clan never. Uh, I feel as though we need to really talk about that for a little bit. I'd like to talk about <laughs> the flashback experiences. <laughs> I, I found that when we gave Yasuke time to just be in that village for a couple of days. I thought that was fine. And as soon as he said, let's go deliver her, I thought, okay, now the series is beginning its major arc. Now we're going to be able to just spend the rest of the season getting to where we need to go. I was wrong. The very next episode, they're attacked by, well, we we called them... The Chuckle Clucks, but you know they were the group of the bad guys. Yeah, the main bad guy. I called them the Bushido Blasters. The, oh, thank you. So the Bushido Blasters show up with, which is a a, a reference to uh, a parody anime series that was on um, Newgrounds. Newgrounds. Yeah, for a little bit called Girl Chan in Paradise. Yeah, and. The, the first episode, it says, you must defeat all my Bushido blasters. Before you could face me. Yeah. And so now anytime that I see a group yeah. of like legendary Dark Knight lieutenants. Yeah. Or like just a group of high level people that you have to defeat before you can face the final boss. I, I shorthand. Almost universally. I, shorthand, I refer to them as the Bushido blasters. So Yasuke ends up getting attacked by the Bushido Blasters on the river. And after that one encounter, we go back to the village. And at this point, I'm already having narrative whiplash. Because Mm -hmm. when it talks about 
later on in the season when they keep talking about let's go see the doctor or Morioske as we find out that his name is mm. we have no concept of the passage of time on how really far away that was because we kept being told it's a great distance it's a great distance but I guess not because later on in the season when Yasuke finally gets the little girl back and they decide let's go see Morioske again it doesn't even take a full episode. I'm pretty sure at the very beginning of the next episode, they get to Morioske. And she just starts getting taught about her power, which is still kind of vague. They imply that it's psychic power. Which, I think, if you would have just removed the Bushido Blasters, or at least made it that their powers weren't as different and outlandish as they were, mm. then you could have had a more consistent season. And that's another thing. We find out that the Bushido Blasters aren't even really working directly for the Daimyo. They're working for this priest who wants to take the little girl back to the Church of England so that she can be an asset to them. And the Daimyo originally hired the priest to get the girl for the Daimyo, but you know he's going to double-cross her. And the Bushido Blasters, which, by the way, is made up of a werebear lady from Russia. <laughs> a lady that I think might be Japanese, but she fights with a giant sickle. Literally a giant sickle. That's her whole gimmick. That's her whole character. And that she's kind of sarcastic. A shaman, whom I... I think might be Aztec. I don't know. Or even he's some Maya. kind of African, I think. But he's African like Yusuke. So oh, Yasuke. I corrected it. <laughs> Good catch. Nice. You you caught it before it hit the ground. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a an actual giant robot. And we're not even talking about. I would have been fine if it was more like an ancient automaton. Something that looked crude and rudimentary. But this guy not only has smoothed over surfaces, he has official branding. Like he's mm. part of some sort of mainline group of robots. Yeah, because you see other robots that look like him later. You don't see any robots that look, that look exactly like him. You don't well, know can't. what line he's from. But yeah, you do but it, see other robots, and you even yeah. see like demon robots, and this is this is where I meant by there are elements and world building that is introduced poorly right here. We don't get time to ever know what any of the Bushido blasters are. We're only left to assume what they are, and we're left to just guess at what their backstories are. The Bushido Blasters were probably easily the biggest piece of wasted potential in the entire season. And after we find out that they're working with this priest guy, by the way, first time going in, we sat there and we were, and Jingles and I were thinking, oh, so the priest guy and the Bushido Blasters are going to be the main villains for the season. That's fine. It's like, and that, like, with the way everybody brings up the daimyo, it's all like, the mm -hmm. daimyo is a distant threat. We don't have to worry about the daimyo. 
Well, we do have to worry about the Bushido Blasters right now. And the Priest. So, I'd say, like, over the course of an episode and a half, they find, they deal with, and they kill the Priest. And the little girl has learned to grab more and more power from herself. She's learned to possess him much more confidently. And they after they kill the priest they decide let's go meet with Mordioske who will teach you about how to actually wield your powers completely and they do and i realized i was like i think we're like two episodes away from the finale and the biggest threat that we had the biggest immediate threat that we had at the time was the priest and that other samurai that was recruited by the daimyo and both have been dealt with. So what's going to happen? Fortunately, the show has an answer for you. And we're going to actually go take down the Daimyo. Who you could have stretched out to multiple seasons. And oh, the last two episodes are so fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That we lose all but one of the Bushido Blasters solidifying their fates as wasted potential massive wasted potential i think that was one of the things that actually made me the most upset was the wasted potential of the bushido blasters because they were interesting yeah and if they would have and if they would have stretched them out over the season and even go brought them into the next season we could have actually gotten to know well how did that lady become a werebear What's so special about the Scythe Lady? Uh, what, what does she even do? Yeah. What's uh, what's the backstory of the Shaman guy? What is the deal with that robot? And nobody else is talking about it. And by the time we end up getting to the end, we defeat the Daimyo. We defeat the biggest threat of the entire series right there. And we're left to just sort of expect that the little girl is now just going to she's going to be fine she's going to be receiving her training and she i'm grateful that she had an arc and that arc was self-possession and learning to be confident in herself and learning to believe in herself and stand up for herself Mm -hmm. because with the way that they started off right away they started off thinking oh she's just going to be weak and helpless the whole way through i'm grateful that they turned their heads on that Mm mm-hmm However, that doesn't save the rest of the wasted potential of the series. Mm -hmm. I just realized now that as we're talking, there was a guilt subplot for Yasuke. Yep. In regards to not only the, like his best friend that he had to kill, that lady. Natsumaru. And a potential lover. Natsumaru. Natsumaru. Thank you. That's her name. She was voiced by Ming-Na Wen. I just wanted to point that out. What? <laughs> I said that already. I'm so sorry. He wasn't listening to you. I'm so oh, sorry. Sorry there. Yeah. The great Ming-Na Wen who voiced Mulan and then was in the live action Mulan and then was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and just... Uh, and then, then, of course, Mandalorian. And, and then the he, Mandalorian. And then she was in the Mandalorian. And then now she's in the Bad Batch. And she's in the Bad Batch. She's fan and of course, you know, before all that, she was Chun Li in the John Claude Van Damme Street Fighter movie, but we won't hold that against her because she's me and I. But she was also Mulan. 
I said that. <laughs> but then she was also Mulan. <laughs> I said that too. <laughs> but but Will, she was also Mulan. Let's not forget about that. <laughs> All right then. She. <laughs> for instance, if anybody didn't know, she played Mulan in the animated movie. It <laughs> was <laughs> Nice, nice. For anybody that uh, this is your first episode uh, with conversations about dot dot dot, you may be surprised. We've brought up Ming Na Wen in so many episodes now. Yeah, I didn't want to bring her up again, but yeah. I was like, this will make somebody happy. Yeah, they uh, they did a great job with the voice cast, yeah. but with the but Paul Nakauchi was in this too yeah he was that makes me happy yeah. as a voice acting he fan he was Morisuke I believe yes he was I, it's uh, uh, Morisuke Morisuke yeah thank you Morisuke I uh by the time we reach the end of it we I'm left with a feeling that I feel like I was bombarded the most of the way throughout that with just detail after detail after detail and none of it being explained it was freaking breakneck it was especially at the end and i would have been perfectly fine with the daimyo being stretched out to another season i would have been fine if the bushido blasters themselves were the were the villains of the season yeah and the priest doesn't even get introduced. Maybe he only gets teased mm-hmm. at the end of the season. And then he's the main villain for the next season. This, this honestly, and I'm going to say this in my, because I fully agree with you. This really could have been a two-season show with longer episodes. There, You could have gone into a lot of the backstory of some of the characters. I really feel like if you had said, okay, these three episodes are now going to be broken up and expanded. Mm-hmm. So a backstory into some of these other characters. And you end the first season with that final flight at the church. Right. Absolutely. You take the second season forward and you literally just say, okay, we're going to take these episodes and chop them up a bit and then add to them. Yeah. To fit the time frame of, because they went about what, 45 minutes to an hour average episode, Sam's? They were closer to a half hour, maybe even less. Yeah. They were not long episodes, and they were very quick. So, and I think that might have been that might have been part of it too. It's like if you're eating a good steak, you want to be able to enjoy it and savor it. You don't want to feel like you have to rush and eat it. Right. And I feel like that's what we got. We got a rush product out of Yasuke. Uh-huh. Which is really too bad, because I have no problem with those stranger elements of magic and spiritualism and robots but they had they went through none of the rigmarole that you would actually have to go through to properly get your audience on board with that stuff 28 to 30 minutes thank you brother wow they felt meteor in 30 minute episodes jeez it's because they were so jam-packed yeah they were so jam-packed with stuff yeah, and by the way, fun fact real quick, uh, Akaja was a priest. He was an African shaman originally from the kingdom of Benin, Benin, Benin. 
He was hired by Abraham to catch Yasuke to find Saki. After Abraham's death, he and his party take their pay, and he also develops a warrior's respect for Yasuke. He aids Morosuke's efforts against the monster of the Daimos and is richly rewarded, the only member of his group to survive after right. him. Yeah, the stuff that we got to see in the finale. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if they stretched it out and we just had an episode about the Bushido Blasters? Whereas, like, just an episode of them either going into a new town and then deciding we don't need to hurt anybody because we're not being paid to hurt anybody and actually making them really likable with that. That way, when their last stand finally does happen, it's actually tragic. The only oh, thing, oh. the only negative feeling that I felt was disappointment and a little bit of anger with just remember reminding myself like the great now we're never going to get any more of like those guys and uh-huh. that that's huge wasted potential here's a here's a fun fact uh speaking of voice actors who just recently really stepped into the land of voice acting he was in one of the latest dc superman movies it was the one where superman uh, it's kind of that reintroduction after the after the new Flashpoint in the DC animated series, where Superman versus Parasite with Martian Manhunter. I forget the name of the movie, uh, but Darren yeah, Chris Lobo was there. Oh yeah, Lobo was there as well. Darren Chris from Glee uh, did the voice of Harato, who was the self-aware weaponized robot with tremendous with humongous tendencies, working for Abraham to fetch Saki after Asuka's death. He Kamikaze strikes the Daimos forces in revenge. And that's yeah. all we know of him. Yeah, that's yep. it. That's all we get, and it's messed up. How do you like that? The Bushido blasters are a blurb. Oh, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> I will I say, uh, the guy that plays uh, Akoja, William uh, Christopher Stevens, uh, he uh, is in Mortal Kombat 11 as the voice of Jax. Oh. He is in the Final Fantasy VII remake as the voice of Rude. <laughs> um, he's in uh, quite a few things, um, but I thought that those two things might might uh, be fun to bring up. Interesting. Yep, I like voice actors. But yeah, um, that's a major problem that I've had with the series as well. Is it's just the absolute breakneck speed. Um, very little time to let any story really like grow and uh, become like a cohesive story. And as such, it gets really confusing and breakneck throughout the thing. I was uh, looking through the the ratings for the episodes. And the highest rating was for episode one, which was uh, rated seven stars, and the rest go down to uh, like six stars. Um, so that that tells me a lot about uh, how other people felt about this series as well. Um, I thought I thought the story was interesting, but it was just did not have enough time to breathe. And take breaks and like allow the audience to catch up and follow along. It was just go 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 go. 
um, I thought the fact that we didn't get to um, get to know very many of these characters really made them feel shallow and weird. Um, I'm a, I really like Nobunaga as both a historical character and a character people use uh, in fictional media. Um, and Nobunaga just didn't really have much to do in this, um, which was sad. Um, I thought the relationship uh, between Yasuke and Sake and Saki uh, was cute. Um, I like that Yasuke being a noble Ronin uh, wanting to protect people. That's that's a noble thing, and it's a character trait that I really like. Um, I thought some of the action was good, but um, it has a lot of similar problems to a lot of modern anime in that um, there's like weird animation things that happen here and there throughout the series. Uh, a lot of anime companies have a we'll fix it later kind of mentality for mm -hmm. it. And so a lot of anime just kind of looks ugly in many, many places, except for like what we like to call the the moments when the budget kicks in, <laughs> when it's usually around action scenes and stuff like that, when um, there's actually effort put in to make every frame look as good as humanly possible. Um, but so many anime companies these days, if it's not one of those scenes, they don't try so hard. And often it doesn't look super good. And there are moments sprinkled throughout this entire show where that happens. And as a as an animator artist, it just it always sticks out to me. There's only a few anime companies that I feel like still, regardless of what the scene is, will always put forth as much effort as humanly possible to make the scenes look as good as possible all the time. Uh, at the top of the list for me is always going to be Studio Trigger. They always do their best all the time. Um, and there's a few others as well that do that. But um, it's just not very many. And that's, that's disappointing to me. Um, I felt like some of the characters, and I think this is probably has to do with um, the whole story thing. Some of the characters ended up falling flat because they didn't have enough time to develop and become interesting noteworthy characters mm -hmm. um and uh the uh, like i said i would have preferred more of a historically accurate thing but knowing that um this is this that wasn't the intent of the uh the showrunners uh from the very beginning then then i'm like cool then i'm i'm, I'm not going to say that it was bad because it didn't do what i wanted i'm just going to say it didn't do what i wanted so i didn't like it very much um but i i kind of i, I was interested in some of the um the magic elements and stuff like that though they weren't very well explained um and uh yeah i liked yasuke as a character I thought it was good. Uh, I, I really appreciated that during the final fight, Saki and Yasuke were working together to defeat the Daimyo instead of just like just Yasuke or just Saki. They were both working together to defeat the Daimyo. I thought that was really good. Um, but overall, I, I thought that the show was like an overall like six out of 10. Um, 
definitely had a lot of problems uh, that were like the whole thing itself is not too bad, but there's there's plenty of problems sprinkled out that kind of takes me out of it or annoys me. Um, that and I think I think a major contributor to that is the pacing of the show. Um, and aside from that, I thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, it's yeah. I, I honestly felt like that the best thing they could have done like, is what I advised earlier: just take that third, take the first three episodes and expand those episodes out into a first season, and then come back with the second half. Um, the the thing I love about we talk about pacing. Uh, and Castlevania ain't perfect. One thing I love about yeah, it's like when it feels like there's a prominent end to the season, they end it, and then they give you the next thing. Like it doesn't feel like they, it doesn't feel so much rushed to me. Like I felt like they're like, oh, well, this is an obviously good end point. Let's end it here and then come back to it in the next season. Let's not try to push this all out there at once. So that's just an example of something where they they kind of they Netflix, for example, has kind of done it better. You know, I know they started working on this back in 2018. I don't know if that pandemic maybe affected it, you know, and everything. I don't know how that worked. Uh, by the way, fun fact, y'all mentioned the music. I just want to mention uh, that was done by a group called Flying Lotus. I believe it's a group. I don't know if it's a single person or a, a group of people. But um, I would I would definitely be interested in a... In a in a different way, the delivery system was okay, but it could have been done better. I feel like at the end of it all, I mean, I enjoyed the voice acting. I love the different stuff, but I feel like it it just it felt meaty. Uh, I won't forget the first time I watched Princess Mononoke, and I watched Princess Mononoke, and I sat there for what I felt like was three hours, and we'd already been in the movie for like forty five minutes to an hour. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, it's only been an hour, man. I was just like, this movie feels like it's got so much stuff in it. Why am I about to sit here for what feels like three hours? And so it's just that whole thing of sometimes you, you know, you, you packed so much into something. It's just hard to really enjoy it after a point because then everything gets tired. You know what I mean? And you just, you, you try to process all this stuff super quick. So I feel like if it had been broken up a little bit more, I feel like we could have enjoyed it a lot better. Yeah, I think that the the pacing is a massive detriment uh, to the overall quality of the show. So, at the end of it all, Yasuke was good, but it could have been told a little bit slower pace. With all the ingredients that they showed us that they did have at their disposal, Yasuke could have been great. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that's the most disappointing about it. Now that we're talking more about it, I know that we gave our rating on the on the actual Mythos Entertainment server. Mm-hmm. Um, what did I put it at? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look as well. Um, should be in anime and cartoons, I think. Yeah. Because um. we went over most of the stuff that we already talked about. Yeah. I've, I've, I wrote it as a 6.5 out of 10. 
I said, I like the concept, but I had issues with pacing and animation here and there. It felt kind of rushed in the end. That was the, the short answer. Uh, I don't believe that you actually wrote. Oh, wow, I didn't. You didn't write. You, usually you'll, you'll give your own rating at the same time I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, honestly, I feel like this is a bit closer to 5.5. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that going off the American grading system. Right. I'm saying, I, actually, now I'll give it an even five. Mm -hmm. um, there are some cool ideas in this. Yes. And there are some fights that are really well animated. However, that is a pretty big mess right now. Yeah, it's a mess. And you know what? I think there's something still worthwhile in a mess versus something that's just boring. At least Yasuke wasn't boring. No, no, it wasn't boring at all. It just was a lot there. It was just so many ideas, and it was just bloated. Yeah, I think you can definitely say that about Yasuke. It's not boring. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to give it a five. Okay. I, I would have to say, if I were going to rate it like that, I would probably say it's a mix between Cutie Honey and Princess Mononoke. Uh, it had a lot of colorful characters that could have been really interesting to explore who they were. We really don't get a chance to do that. Uh, and it felt super bloated with the episodes we got because I felt like you could have expanded it out. So with that, I'm going to say four out of five. I'm sorry, not four out of five, three out of five. Interesting. I'll be careful with throwing away, throwing around Princess Mononoke. Well, what I'm Mononoke is more along the lines of it. There was a lot of meat in that. There was a lot of meat in that meatloaf. Like when you're cooking a meatloaf, that. I got that. Yeah. I just uh, I'm thinking about, but Princess Mononoke was able to make that work for itself. I'm sure not for everybody, and I'm sure that this, we're discussing subjective stuff. But I just yeah, thought it was yeah. interesting that you would use Princess Mononoke as a bad example. Oh, like I said, more for... Yeah, it worked for Princess Mononoke. It just took me a while to go through it. I think I had to watch it a second time just to understand a lot of what was going on. Okay. Because there's a lot of information in it. And whereas with this, it felt like a lot of information was in it, but I didn't have time to really digest it. Even if I'd watched it five times, I still would have been like, wait, I got so many more questions that nobody ever answered. Okay. No, I get that. I still need to watch Mononoke. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of uh, Ghibli films I still need to watch. Ghibli? What's your favorite one that you've watched so far? Um, Castle in the Sky. Smiters will always 100% be Castle in the Sky. Uh, I think Castle in the Sky is amazing. Uh, for me, it's probably a mix uh, between, um, gosh, Spirited Away and um, uh, Howl's Moving Castle. And uh, yeah. I really like Howl's Moving Castle uh, because of the character designs. The fact that it's based off a book, I think that's crazy. <laughs> um, and uh, the acting is amazing. And, and just the, the world building that they do within it in, in such a short amount of time. Um, and Spirited Away, I mean, it's, it's an absolute classic and is absolutely amazing film. Um, 
So, yeah, it's somewhere in between there. But Laputa, Castle in the Sky, is a masterpiece. Laputa, Castle in the Sky speaks to me on a very personal level. Right. That's why it's so important to me. Yeah. Um, but thank I'm... you, Will, for being willing to discuss Yasuke with us. Oh, no problem. I was just going to say Porco Roscoe was always kind of my favorite uh, Studio Ghibli film just because when I initially watched it, I was younger, but I was sitting there going, dude, it's a pig dude, flying jets. And then I rewatched it later in life. I was like, wow, this is a really good story. You know, and everybody was just like, it's a pig dude, flying jets. I'm like, yeah, shut up. I already came to that realization when I was a kid. Yeah, but the spectacle of it can be rad. Oh, yeah, it was very rad. I loved it. It's Porco Rosso, not Roscoe. (laughs) Although, I mean, I'd be fine being related to that guy. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm like, objectively speaking, people are saying it is actually the best Ghibli film. Wow. People don't talk about it very much. Porco Rosso is is considered by experts the best one. Mm. I am not mistaken. And I'm sure y'all know this already. I believe the Studio Ghibli library is available on Disney+. Plus. It is not. It is, it not? is available on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, the United, in the United States. Mm-hmm. However, uh, pretty much everywhere else in the world, yeah. all of the Studio Ghibli movies are available on Netflix. <laughs> I'm so confused. That's interesting too, because for a while Disney was released. I thought Disney was behind releasing some of the Studio Ghibli films. They they were. I I was reading up on it because I was like, why aren't Studio Ghibli movies coming to Disney Plus? And I found out they had lost the rights uh, f- to distribute them in the United States, uh, and so it was picked up by HBO Max when it first started up. So they're all on there now. Interesting. Uh, that reminded me of something that should have been in the news section, so I'm going to say it real quick now, just because it's literally going to take a second to say it. Amazon Amazon has bought yet another thing, because, you know, nobody's talking about monopolies anymore. Uh, Amazon bought the MGM library. Yep. So now they own stuff like... Bond? Yep. Yep. Wow. Although there is a small problem, because apparently the Broccoli family... Uh, and I kid you not, that's their last names, uh, own the movie rights to James Bond. I think the distribution rights were going through MGM, but they were actually the ones that financed the movies being made, and so there's a question of whether Amazon's going to have to pay them off in order to be able to create new James Bond content if they want to create James Bond content on their end. Right. But pretty soon people are feeling that uh, Amazon uh, Prime Video will start having available the entirety of the James Bond collection. Wow. Which is going to be crazy. Their name is Amazon. Amazon Prime. Or, I'm sorry, no. Their name is Prime. Amazon Prime. That's it. That's it. So, gentlemen... First of all, thank you as always for coming on to this uh, this show. I appreciate the experience of getting to talk with you guys each and every week. Um, you guys rock. I don't care what anybody says. Anybody says differently, tell them to come find me. I got something for them. In the form of a knuckle sandwich filled with pain. 
<laughs> Beef. Just, I got I got Tim I got Jack Johnson and Tim O'Leary right here. I got two fists ready for him. Come across the last <laughs> Yeah, I know I'm old. <laughs> yeah, Anchorman's <laughs> a funny movie. <laughs> I escalated quickly. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, thank you guys coming on so much. I appreciate it greatly. Um, and uh, really, so more than likely next week because we've gotten some responses from about this. Uh, we're talking about what are people watching. So more than likely, we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, what are people watching in the lands of the streaming services and all that different stuff? What things are they catching up on? Things that they would recommend to you guys that would want to watch, things like that. And uh, so that's where we're going to kind of go. We've gotten some answers. We're looking for some more. So that's why we're going to wait till next week to cover that one. Besides that, we wanted to give Yasuke some time to breathe, unlike the series didn't. So we wanted to, we wanted to just talk about Yasuke primarily. Guys. So, last go, bros. Any last words you guys want to give before we wrap this episode up? Yo. Um, don't be stupid out there. <laughs> yeah, actually, don't. Don't be stupid out there. Be respectful to other people. And, uh, hey, if somebody said something that you don't like, you're fine. Like, it doesn't actually affect you. <laughs> oh, wow. That's that's a, Roscoe. that's a lesson right there. Yep, that's Smider Roscoe for you. you know, and I know the old expression... I'll, I'll wait. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I don't. I, I was trying to think if I did have anything to say, and I'm all like, I think I'm worded out. Yeah, Yasuke just tapped us out. I think I, I said everything I wanted to say, <laughs> which rarely happens because I feel like I have forever to talk about things. Yeah. The Bad Batch is a good show. Watch it. <laughs> but catch up on Clone Wars first. Also, Gendy Tartakovsky's Clone Wars is now available on Disney+. Plus. Watch that also. It's pretty good. <laughs> That's a great one. I, I love that one. It's one of my favorites. I watched, I did watch the Gendy Tadagoski Clone Wars all the way through multiple times. Back when it was on Cartoon Network and such. So, I'm glad it's on Disney Plus where people can like, watch it and experience that. So, just remember, I know that the expression goes, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we understand that words can hurt, but here's the reality. Words hurt if you let them hurt. They don't have to. You know, you can you can deal with those words in your own way, and we hope you will, because we understand that everybody has words to say. That doesn't necessarily mean that what they're saying is the gospel truth about you or about anyone else. So just, you know, you don't have to let them hurt if you don't choose to. So that's oh, the last thought. I oh. have one thing to say because I was thinking about it the other day. Remember, everybody, in the immortal words of the great Scott Hall, hard work pays off, dreams come true. Bad, ki- bad times don't last, but bad guys do. Yeah. <laughs> now go out there and be a blessing. Say, say hello to the bad guy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for rocking with us on this episode of Conversations About Dot Dot Dot. We greatly appreciate it, and we're glad we're able to fill in the blank with you today. Uh, about Yasuke and other news items. And blah, blah, blah. Do me a favor, guys. Be blessed. Be a blessing to somebody, guys. Take care. <laughs>